Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. And my name is Tim. And if it's, you know, it's Mother's Day, happy mom to you, if whoever the moms are. Raise your hand if you're a mother. This one, we're glad to have you here. We really are. We're very excited for you. Okay. And um, my wife is cashing in today. She dug up some old coupons the boys made when they were little kids, and they had no expiration dates. Yeah, so I'm off the hook today, man. So, <laughs> happy Mother's Day. And, and um, you know, usually we do Mother's Day, some kind of Mother's Day lesson thing. But today I just want to continue our series in this storyteller parables. Maybe for you first-time moms here, if you're first time here, this is what we're covering every Sunday. And we'd love to have you back in the next few weeks. Uh, Jesus was an amazing storyteller. Do you know anybody that likes to tell stories? They just love telling story after story after story. Don't look at me. Besides me, do you know people love to tell stories and stories? Well, let me tell you that Jesus was the master of telling stories. Look at this passage up here on your screen. Look what the Bible says. This is Matthew 13. And I decided to add the, the next verse that we've been looking at. This is our theme passage for the series. It says, Jesus used stories when he spoke to the people. In fact, he did not tell them anything without using stories. So God's promise came true. Just as the prophet had said, I will use stories to speak my message to explain things that have been hidden since the creation of the world. You know, if you're, before you start criticizing somebody that tells a story, they may be more like Jesus than you can imagine because it was prophesied that Jesus would be a storyteller. It's a part of him being a Messiah, the Messiah. He told story after story. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus on uh, a particular story that's found in Luke chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 7. Now if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 and then we'll refer to Matthew chapter 7 uh, in our lesson today. Look at, it, look at the Bible says here. This, this is up on the screen for you if you'd like to read it with me or you can read it out of your, on your cell phone or your Bible. This is Luke chapter 6. And look what it says here, in verse, starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? That's the, that's the reason this story is in this passage. What Jesus is about to tell uh, the story here is because he's dealing with this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? For as everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. He says, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and, and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This is probably the most familiar story Jesus has used. Everybody knows the little the song, The wise man built his house upon the rock. We all know, maybe we've learned that as kids, or in Bible school, or a VBS. But we know this story. It's about two guys. One is wise, one is foolish. One builds his house, I think according to Matthew, it says, on sand. And, and then one builds his house on Rock. Now, before we talk about this uh, a little more in detail, uh, I want to tell you about. A, I want to tell you a little story, okay? In 2008, when Hurricane Ike came through the Florida coast, it wiped out everything in its path. And shortly after the winds and the the rain stopped, a chopper, a news chopper, took a picture 
took this image. I hope it's up on the screen. Let's see it. Here's the image it captured after this hurricane. A lot of people think this was photoshopped. This is not a photoshopped photo. This is an actual true-to-life photograph, okay? It belongs to a guy by the name of Warren Adams, this house does. And so when they begin to ask him and begin to inquire, how is it that your house stood... By the way, he only had minor damage on this house. How is it possible that your house is still standing and everybody, everybody else's houses obviously are gone? He goes, well... I guess it's because I built this house myself. I went meticulously through every step and made sure it was built to code. If, if the code said two by six uh, trusses for the roof, I put two by six trusses in the roof. The code called for screws instead of nails, and so I used screws. What I was told was if I build this to code, it can withstand hurricane forces. So I did, and it did. I guess the people around me, my neighbors, didn't build their homes to code. Duh. <laughs> well, that's the story, see, that Jesus is, is using here. It's the same thing. He's showing here are two houses. They're going through a storm. One stands and one collapses. Why? The difference is whether a person makes wise choices or foolish ones. You see, in Palestine, there were, there, it was common to see valleys and places, perfect places to build homes. You know, I had this idea that well, when Jesus talks about uh, building a house on sand, he's building a house on the beach. And uh, if somebody's building a house in rock, he's building it in the cliffs, you know, in the mountains. And Jesus says, no, I'm talking about a valley here in Palestine that everybody's familiar with. Beautiful place to build a home. And during the fall, when the rain season begins, there's a chance for flash floods and storms, uh, unexpected storms. And everybody could relate to that. And I got to thinking, can't we here in Illinois, here on the Mississippi, relate to this story too? Don't we know about floods? I mean, don't you ask yourself, why do they live in West Alton? Don't you ever ask yourself that kind of question? I have some people that, that said, I, took, I take offense to that because I lived in West Alton. I said, I know you said lived. <laughs> I can understand why. But, you know, why would people build on a floodplain? That's a great question to ask. You know, flood of 93, those of us that were here and can remember the flood of 93, it was devastating, wasn't it? Wow, it was amazing how everything changed shape. And, 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 and even today, even this week, there were threats of flash flooding going on in the St. Louis uh, area, Alton area. They were talking about that. So we understand it. We can relate to it as well. Now, the Bible happens to compare, uses the word house a lot in the Bible. And it uses the word house to, to really uh, illustrate three things or to tell you, inform you about three different ways it uses house. For example, the word house can be referred to a structure, and we get that. But also a house can refer to a family. If you remember in the King James Version, in Joshua 24, I think it's verse 15, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What is he talking about? As for me and the house I built. No, he's not talking about the house he built. He's talking about his household, his family. And that's why other translations will use that word family or household instead. But also the Bible not only refers to house as a structure or as a family, it will also use the word house to refer to a life. 
If you remember Hezekiah, you do any study on King Hezekiah, remember he gets sick, he's getting deathly ill, and the prophet says to him, Isaiah says to him, the Lord says, get your house in order. Was he, was he getting ready for a sale? Is that what he's doing? I better get everything cleaned up because I'm dying? He's not talking about his physical house. He's referring, Isaiah is referring to his life. Get your house in order. How many times have you heard somebody say, you better get your house in order? They're talking about their life. Here's an example of a passage in Proverbs where Solomon uses as uh, the word house to refer to life. The wicked person's house will be destroyed, but a good person's tent will still be standing. Now, I use this translation, this version on purpose, because I noticed, I noticed that it's so distinct and clear. One stands, one falls. The wicked's house, it says, is destroyed. But a good person, and by the way, another way to say good person is a righteous person. You may sit there in your seat and say, well, I'm a good person. Well, who defined good for you? Who defines you as a good person? You defining that? Or does the Bible define that? The Bible defines a good person as a righteous person. A person who seeks God and follows His commands. Now, if you're that, you're a good person. And it says the tent... Your tent, it doesn't have to be a house. Your tent can survive all the storms of life. Sounds kind of like the uh, parable that we're reading about here in Luke 6. I mean, it's one house is destroyed, one house is standing, and why? Why, would, why is that the case? Well, maybe Warren Adams would say, maybe they've built their life to code. And because they have, they're still standing. And that's the very point I believe Jesus, Jesus is trying to make in this, point, in, in this, in this uh, story. He's trying to show the difference in the way the lives are built. Look at this passage in Luke 6, 48. Look at, look at, I love the way it says it. When the flood came, that's to the wise man, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. It was built to code. What do you mean by built to code, Tim? What do you mean when you build your life to code? Well, building my life to code means living my life based on the Bible. If you want a simple way to say it, if I'm going to build my life to God's code and God's specs, I'm building it based on the Bible. I'm building all of it based on the Bible. And that is a challenge, isn't it, for you and for me? I mean, to, to trust the Lord and do what the Bible says in every area of our life, that can be a challenge. But God says we can do it. So what I want to do now is to talk a little bit about, so what, is, what does it mean to build my life to code, to God's code? And so I've, t- I've kind of taken a sentence, the sentence, I'm building my life to God's code, and then I want to try to complete that sentence. For example, when I, I build my life to God's code when I start building my relationship with God. It starts there. You know, I, I've... I've uh, I bought a house. If you've ever seen The Money Pit with Tom Hanks, there's an old movie um, with Cary Grant uh, that's really good as well about building a house. There's a lot to it. We bought this house, and it was an old farmhouse, a 100-year-old farmhouse, and it only had very limited square footage. The basement had exposed dirt. It was like a root cellar. And we decided to buy this house, and we were going to put a new foundation under it. So we lift the house up with hydraulic jacks, destroy the basement and the, and the walls and the old foundation, put a new basement and foundation in, and then lower the house without cracking the plaster. What an ordeal. Somebody said, why didn't you just tear it down and just start all over? 
I thought I was saving money. You know, when you save money, you might not be saving a headache, okay? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's more to it than this. And I found it very, very challenging. But what I did learn was this, that the strength of a house is in the things you don't see, that the beauty of the house is not what makes it strong. It's what's hidden. It's what's, what's unseen. It's covered. And building a life on the Bible is no different we can look good and act good and parade around and project that we're spiritual, but what you do in private is what really counts. What you decide privately. You can try to impress me or impress other people. So what? The strength of a home is not in its beauty. It's in its foundation. And the strength of a godly life is in its foundation as well. And so it starts with building my relationship with God. You say, what are you talking about, Tim? Well, let me explain. Look at chapter 6 here on your notes. As for everyone who comes to me, he says, that's how Jesus says, look, if you're going to come to me, it starts there. You come to me. Uh, Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One time Jesus prayed over Jerusalem. He says, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets. Oh, I wish I could gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. I wish you could come to me, but you won't let me. So Jesus is really interested in having a relationship with you and I. And he says, everyone who comes to me, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, not somebody else's, my words, not an opinion, my words, not what society says, my words, not what the world wants, and puts them, what, my words, into practice. You come to me, listen to me, and put it into practice, and you're like a guy who digs down deep and finds rock. You know, Jesus is saying, look, when you come to me, it's like digging for bedrock in your life. Now, I got to thinking about this, and that's why we changed, you know, probably, somebody, did you notice that the songs on your bulletin were different than the songs we sung? Anybody else notice that? You bulletin watchers? Wow. There's no critical people in this church. Oh, I got somebody up in the, the PowerPoint guy. Okay. Of course, he would notice it. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I notice about this is this, is that the Bible compares God to a rock in lots of places. Look at the Bible says here up on the screen. This is Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He, uh, one translation says the rock of ages. Jesus is the rock, rock of ages, right? Jesus is the rock. There is no rock, uh-uh. There is no God like ours, right? There is, and that's, and that's what he's saying. That's, that's, by the way, when some of us, when we think about what kind of songs we're singing, we're singing Bible songs. We're singing the songs that are in the Bible, okay? We're singing passages, all right? Now look at this, look at 1 Samuel 2, 2 here. This is what David said. There is no rock, uh-uh, as solid did I say, uh-uh, I'm sorry. There is no rock as solid as our true God. Bad habit, huh? But he's saying there's no rock as solid, as solid as God. You understand? There's nothing that's steady and solid like God. He's like a rock that cannot be moved. And that's what I love that we just sang that a minute ago. And look at 2 Samuel 2. This is the passage we sang. The Lord is my rock. He goes, my fortress, my deliverer, 
My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. What's he saying here? David is saying, Tim, he, I have dug down to find God. And I'm connecting to God. I'm putting, before I start anything, the best choice I can make is I start with God. And He's going to be my God. Is He your God? Is He your deliverer? Is He your fortress? Is He your rock? Are you building on God Himself? See, it's so, guys, listen, it's not easy building a house properly. You're going to need a lot of help if you're going to do that. Right? Yeah, and building a godly life is not easy either. It takes lots and lots of help. And you're not, you can't settle for anything less to build this life on. It has to be built on God. See, a wise man will dig until he finds rock, until he finds God himself. I say this to you because we're trying to change things here at Greater Alton. We've been trying to change it for a number of years now to get people to understand it's your relationship with God that matters more than anything else. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, Tim will be with me. No, I won't, David. And when I'm drawing my last breath, you won't be with me. Oh, some of you will be holding my hand, but you ain't going through that door with me. Uh-uh. But Jesus, Jesus will be there. He, he can go through that door and come back. He can do whatever He wants. That's the one I want to have with me. And that's the one you want to have with you. Wise man dig, digs until he finds, finds God. And see, guys, it's, I want you to know, I, I know churches are built on good leadership. Right? Good churches are built on good leadership. And we, but good leadership follows God. And that helps the church follow God as well. So it's really about following Jesus. You've got to remember that. That there's life after, life for a church after leadership changes. There's life after, why? Because you're holding on to the eternal rock, not a temporal pebble and a person. And so when God, God sits there and He says, look, come to me and let's build together. That's what Jesus is saying right off the bat. You call me Lord, Lord. Why don't you do what I say? He's saying, it's about, it's about us building together this life. Let me ask you a question. How is your relationship with God? Are you a Christian? Can you say with confidence, yes, I'm a Christian? Or, uh, would it be possible that you've left God? You've gotten off, off the foundation. Time to build again on this foundation. It starts with my relationship with God if I want to build to God's code. The second thing is I'm building my life to God's code when I focus on my foundation, not on my location. It's important to remember this. It's, the wise guy isn't wise because he's come up with a great location, okay? He's focused on the foundation. Notice, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and he says, this is for everyone, everyone, he says, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It wasn't that he went and found rock. It was there all along. I tell you, when I first, read, when I first as a kid, Bible school, I don't know who did this to me. It's probably an assumption I've made. 
And maybe you do this too when you're hearing my sermons. You make some assumptions too. Possible. Probable. Okay, and that, and that is that I used to think, okay, here's two guys. Jesus says, here's a guy that built his house on sand. And I'm thinking of this nice beach. And the other guy builds it on rock, so he's somewhere else, like on the cliff. Jesus is saying these guys are in the same valley. They're not in separate places. These aren't separate locations miles apart. In fact, if you do some Googling, and sometime, fellas, uh, sons, um, Google, just look at your phone and look at the Google today, the Google search thing. It's all about moms today. And that will encourage you to remember mom. So I was doing that. That's a little commercial. I was doing that, going through Google. And I Googled wise and foolish builders. And you know they'll always have an image. And the image was just, I just couldn't process. It was a painting of two adobe stone-type houses built with a creek between it. One is crumbling and one is standing firm. And I'm going, what's that? That's not, that's not right. Why has he got them in the same place? Because Jesus puts them in the same place. He puts them in the same valley. What's the lesson here? We're all in the same valley. You're in the same valley. I'm in the same valley. Changing locations doesn't avoid storms. Changing locations doesn't prepare you for storms. You, you, you follow me so far? Well, I'll just take my Bible and go somewhere else. Storms still coming your way. Last time I looked, the cloud kind of covers all this area. Right? And I don't know what it is, but a lot of people, they, want to, they think, man, if I get somewhere else, then I can avoid the storms. Kind of like uh, people on the East Coast are going to move to the Midwest because there won't be any hurricanes. What do you say? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they moved. Okay. Well, I, it, am I pointing wrong? Okay, anyway. But you're saying they moved to the Midwest. Oh, it's going to be nice. There won't be any more hurricanes. Oh, those nasty hurricanes. Oh, yeah, all we got are earthquakes and tornadoes. And the West Coast people... I'm going to move to the southwest. Well, there won't be any more of that, you know, mudslides. Oh, that's great. What do you got in the southwest? Let's see, drought. What's that? Exactly, wildfires. And then the people in the Midwest, what do we do? Man, I'm moving. I'm going to go to the mountains. I'm going to go to the Rockies. And I won't have no more of this muggy summers and those gnats. I hate those gnats. They, what, they follow me from the Holiday Inn? Well, how come these gnats keep... <laughs> Have you been there lately? It's gotten better. <laughs> it's gotten better. So I'll move there. So we go to the Rockies, and what do we have there? Oh, let's see, blizzards and mountain lions. I don't know about you, but it's easier to swat a gnat away than a mountain lion. You can't escape storms. We can't escape. Guys, somebody's going to die in your family no matter where you are. You're going to die when your time comes. You can't avoid that. Wherever you're going to be, it's going to be there. We're all in the same valley. We all get hurt. Well, I'll go over here. I'll go to this church. I won't get hurt. Want to bet? 
I got news for you. Here's some, I'm going to tell you, here's how I know some churches in this area are going to hurt you. Because some of the people that were here that hurt you are going there now. We're all, yeah, we just, people are going to disappoint you. People are going to hurt you. You're going to get clobbered sometimes. So, a location isn't going to matter. We're in the same valley. See, the wise man is not wise because he chose a better location. He's wise because he chose a better foundation. Big difference. I have to focus on the foundation. He's wise because of where he chooses to build. He's not wise because of where he chooses to build, but on what he chooses to build. Now, I want to say to you, we're all in the same valley. And sometimes that can be bad news. I guess we're all in the same area. But that's sobering. There's no if it's bad news. It's sobering news. The good news is this. There is rock under all of it. There's rock to be found wherever I am. All I have to do is dig for it. You see, God's, God's plan doesn't, con- doesn't consist of preventing storms from happening. His plan is about preparing for the storms when they do. Big difference. What are you focusing on? Location or foundation? Which one's it going to be? You know, like building a house, there's lots of choices. Uh, we, when we remodeled our home, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe how many colors of tile there are. I believe people somewhere, the powers that be, have determined the more colors of tile we can create, the more turmoil we can create in marriages across America. Outlets, a simple outlet. How many outlets do you want? I went in one room we had, and we just want. I know she only got two outlets. Yeah, well, I want more. You do? Well, that's going to cost you. It is. Yeah. Where do you want them? Well, I don't know. What color do you want the? I don't know. Where do you want them? Up low, high? Where? I said, wait a minute. I just asked for a couple of outlets. Okay. Lots of choices to be made when you're building a home, remodeling a home, and it's important that you don't make the mistake of the fella in the last crusade who chose poorly. You want to choose wisely. You want to choose to build your life on the Lord. Look at this passage in Psalms 127. If it is not the Lord who builds a house, the builders are wasting their time. If God is not... You're a contractor and you're building for life. You're wasting your time. You're wasting air. You're not going to be prepared for anything. The slightest bump in the road is going to, is going to snap your neck. It's interesting to me as I, re- as I looked at this passage, one fellow said it this way, regardless of how wise you are on this earth, if you fail to build your life on God's Word, Jesus says you're being a fool. You calling me a fool, Tim? Jesus is calling you a fool. If you're so smart with your finances, so smart with your strategy, your business dealings, you're, you're very responsible, you're, you're very smart with the future, and you can, do, you can, you can predict all kinds, that's great. But if you're not building it on the Lord Jesus, you're a fool is what he's saying. 
Look at this passage in Proverbs 16, verse 3 in the message. Put God in charge of your work. Then what you've planned will take place. That's the wisest, that right there is the wisest choice you could ever make. Put God in charge of the project. Put Him in charge of the life. Listen to what He has to say. Apply what He has to say, and you'll be prepared. i got a question i got to ask you. Listen closely to this question. Is God a part of your project, or are you a part of His? What's the difference? Big difference. Is God a part? Are you content with, well, I want God to be a part of my life. God says, I, I'm so big, I can't, I can't fit in part of your life. I must fit in all of it. That's the way it's got to be, Tim. If I'm building your life, I'm, the con- I'm in charge, I'm the contractor, I'm the master builder. So you're going to do what I say, right? Is he a part of your plan or are you a part of his plan? That makes a big difference on how your life is going to work. Number three, I am, I, again, I'm building my life to God's code when I apply what God says. You say, well, that's, Tim, that's the point of the parable. I know, that's the, it is the point of the parable, is I need to apply it. I can't just talk about it. I can't just listen. You know, the wise and the foolish men both are listening, but one of them puts it into practice. This is the strongest lesson. Listen. This is the strongest lesson Jesus gives on obedience. You need to pay attention to this parable that you're so familiar with. Because it's his strongest lesson in obedience. He, look what he, again, what he, he says. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? He's saying, listen, Tim, your obedience is the acid test of your discipleship. If you're going to call me Lord, you better be obeying me. Why? Because obedience is the acid test of discipleship. When Jesus looks at you and looks at me and we say, You're my Lord, well, He's going to look and see what are you doing. Again, Matthew 7, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, of mine, He says, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. See, my security, your security, our stability, your stability as a Christian, your stability as a human being, it, is, it all comes down to your personal application to the words of Jesus. Your application. See, I can dream. Anyone can dream. Anyone can plan. Anyone can draw stuff out. I don't know how many drawings I've got I've never built. On napkins, Danny, Nathan's thinking of that electric car. Tesla beat me. You know, I'm just saying, I don't know how many times we'll sit around. Do you you know anybody like this? Maybe you're one of these kind of people. You love just planning and drawing and dreaming. That's the easy part. People sit around. Oh, I want to do this. I I think we ought to plant a church. Or I think I want to start a job. I want to to live over here someday. And they're dreaming. That's the easy part. Everybody, oh, it's fun to dream, to plan. But then the work has to begin. And if the work doesn't begin, there's no dream. No fulfillment of the dream. Look what it says here. Look what it says here in James. Guys, what I do, what you do matters this morning. What you do with what Jesus says matters. He says, put the word into action. 
If you think hearing it is what matters most, you're going to find out you've been deceived. You're going to find something else out. Your life is going to crumble when the storms come. What's he saying here? He's saying you just need to do what you know. I, I'm glad we're, you know, a lot of you are in your Bibles. I, I talk to people. We're still doing the daily Bible, and it's on our website. And I, I, I know people that are reading that, and it's a daily question is what it is, a, a series of questions. And I know some of you are reading um, a different kind of, maybe a different chronological Bible, or you're, read, you're focusing right now on a lot of our groups on the, on the Gospel of Luke. I, that's exciting. It's exciting to see so many people in their Bibles. And don't stop doing that. Don't stop doing that, church. We need that. Our, our base of leadership, our base of stability here is going to be built on the Word of God. And I, I'm excited more than I've been in years by the interest and curiosity and the effort that you're putting in to personally... I'm going to learn, Tim. I get what you and Alan and Gary are saying. You're saying we need to take responsibility. By golly, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take responsibility for my spiritual growth. You don't have to force it down my throat anymore. You don't have to repeat yourself all the time. I'm going to start reading and I'm going to start getting it. Praise God. Keep it going. Keep it up. Can I say something about that? Sometimes, guys, the greatest obstacle to addressing a problem, or not the greatest obstacle, but but the idea of the best thing I could do, the best answer, is it not that I need a little more information, but just have a little more application. Just make some, make some more application to what you already know. See, the problem for a lot of us is we know enough, we're just not doing what we know. Why do we need another Bible verse? I've asked myself that. A lot of people say, man, you use a lot of Bible verses. I don't know why. I guess I get this idea if, if I have enough Bible verses, it'll convince you. you know? But really, God only has to say it once. Right? He should only have to say it once. So more information sometimes is not really helpful. But application, more application can be. Look how Jesus says it here in John 13. Now that you know these things, He says you'll be blessed if you do them. He's saying do what you know. Nothing wrong with knowing more. I'll be honest with you, I don't think God wants people walking around spitting out Scripture like a machine gun. Or knowing deep, deep thoughts, you know, deep things from the scriptures. It's nice to know those things. If it isn't relevant in my life, what's, so what? If it's not ap- applied, so what? I, I'm not a disciple because of what I know. I'm a disciple because of who I know and who I follow. But I love this passage because Jesus promises you and I, as students, as disciples, that He'll reward us. He says, you blessed Him when you do them. You see, um, the greatest obstacle to building your life on God, on the Bible, is procrastination. How do you know that, Tim? Here's what I know. Unless I apply what I read at once, chances are I'm not going to apply it at all. If I don't start applying it, they say if you if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. And so, you know, I, I can't just have good intentions. 
I have to have good effort. I want to say something to you. I've been a Christian since 1977. I have never regretted obeying God. I've never regretted obeying God. I haven't always obeyed God. And when I have, sometimes I don't like it. I'm not excited about it. Sometimes I have not enjoyed it. But I'm always blessed by it. Sometimes I have to have somebody kick me in the pants to do the right thing. I don't like that. I don't like somebody in my face. Put me on a guilt trip to make me take one step forward in my life. I don't like that. I don't like people picking me apart. You don't either, right? The Bible says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I don't like that. What? That word spur. I like everything else. And I do think we need to consider before we spur somebody how it would work, how, how, how to best get the best out of people. I'm still learning that. But I've never regretted obeying the Word of God. It's always blessed me. And it blessed me when I did wasn't expecting it. See, guys, building your life on, on the Bible means doing what the Bible says even when you don't understand why you should do it at the moment. And sometimes when I've went ahead and I said, I don't know, I don't know if this is what I should do, or I don't know, I don't know if I like this, I don't want to do this, and I go ahead and do it, that's when I find out what it really means. It actually helps me learn what the Bible's really saying. So I, I, I apply. If you, want, if you want to build your life on the Bible, apply what it says. I know it sounds redundant or even sounds uh, like I already know that, Tim. Well, do what you already know. Well, what's that? I don't know what you know. But I know you should do it. And finally, I'm building my life to God's code. And I didn't know how to... We, Tom, uh, Tom Tarantino and I work on these points. This last point is a very tough point for me because I didn't know how to word it. The way I originally worded it was, well, put the word up here. Go ahead and put that. The way I worded it to begin with was, when I pass the moments, I'm tested. That don't sound right. When I pass, what's that pass, huh? What do you mean, Tim? I don't know, it's scary. Tom said, why don't we add in the moments I'm tested? And i tell you what I've thought about doing. Get rid of the word pass and put persevere. When I persevere. Is that something, Tom, how that makes, when I'm tested? Then I pass the test, you know. When I persevere in the moments I'm tested. How, what are you talking about, Tim? Well, here's what I notice in, in here in Luke 6. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. So this, this storm comes. It strikes the house, and it stands firm. It passes the test. It perseveres. It can get through it. And when you build the code, this probably this point is more of a... a an insight into our life more than something to do. But it helps us understand, well, where am I when it comes to... Where, how strong or weak am I? Because, boy, you know this is true, guys. Storms will test the strength and the weakness of a structure. 
and the storms of life will test your the strength and weakness of your faith, your trust in God. Again, look at Matthew 7 here. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house. But it didn't fall. Why? Because it was foundation was on rock. Matthew is a little different than Luke. Luke does not make this distinction. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, that word beat against, when it beats against the wise wise man's house and it beats against the foolish man's house, are two different Greek words. You say, what are you talking about, Tim? Well, the Greek language is very specific. And for some reason, Luke... He doesn't put it, he doesn't make that distinction, but Matthew does. I don't know why, but I find it interesting. Matthew uses two different words. For the wise man, for the wise man, the beat against the house is the word prospito. Prospito. And it means to fall from being suddenly rushed upon. You guys ever watch that storm front coming in, and then all of a sudden, you get hit with that gust? Oh, man. So this big gust or this this flash flood, bam, hits the house out of nowhere. That's on the wise man. But on the foolish man, he uses the word proscopto. They sound almost alike. Prospito, proscato. What does that word proscopto mean, Tim? It means to stumble by stubbing your toe on a rock. What's the difference? The, the, the wise man is getting hit with the worst and survives. The foolish man just stubs his toe and can't handle it. You get it? it it's showing the weakness of this man's faith and his house. I've often wondered, how come... I I know some people, they'll go through something horrific and they get through it. And I'm going through something that's a tenth of what they're going through and I can't handle it. Why? I'm probably more like the stumbling over the rock. It says something about my faith. It says something about my foundation. You see, life built on on what God wants, built on God, can withstand the worst. While a life... listen built on anything else, cannot handle what's equivalent to stubbing your toe. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody here, guys, but some of the things that work us up, they reveal what our faith is really about. We get all worked up about unimportant things. Things that really don't matter. We get upset over things that God is trying to do and we, and we feel threatened by it. Well, I can see why, because we're human beings and we walk more by sight than faith. How is it that you take two people, they can go through the same thing and one person is wigging out, panicking, and the other person is just able to get through it? Could it be that down deep inside they know I'm not I don't have a foundation? That I'm not as solid as I project to be. And the thing is you can be. 
You can be. Look at the Bible says here in Job 27:18. The wicked build houses as fragile as a spider web, as flimsy as a shelter made of branches. Think of the three pigs. House made of sticks. And he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down. Now, this this uh, building he's referring to made out of sticks is a night watchman's shelter or a watchman's shelter. Not night watchman, but a watchman's, a, a guard shack. You don't live in a guard shack. It's a temporary structure. Just made to kind of keep the sun off or the rain off. Nothing big. Nothing solid. And he says the wicked, they build, when you build with, on something else other than God, it's like building something as weak as a guard shack or like a spider web. A moth's cocoon, I think, is what other translations will say. Look at that, the, the difference. What a stark difference. And then here in Proverbs 12, verse 7, I think it's Proverbs 12, 7. I'm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 24, verse 10. It says, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much in you in the first place. Man, if you can't handle it, if you're falling to pieces, what's it say? There's, you don't have your foundation where it'll be. I don't know. Where, again, I'm not trying to indict anybody here. And I have my moments where I just have meltdowns. I'm going, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, 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 oh. And I start mumbling. And, and Denise is like, you know, snap out of it. I'm sorry. I had a moment there. <laughs> what happened? You kind of wigged out. It's just a sermon. <laughs> you know, I wigged out over my sermons. It's just a sermon, Tim. What are you worried about? I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me to do anything. Panic. But there are some serious things that happen that someone dies, someone gets sick, cancer, leukemia. These are all real things. Families change, kids graduate, they move away. It just changes, seasons. I lose my job, I lose my spouse, divorce, whatever it be. If I fall to pieces, it says something about what's in me. You don't have to deal with it, guys. I, I'm dealing with me. You've got to deal with you on this. But look what the Bible says. Look at the Bible promises here. In Proverbs 12, verse 7, The house of the righteous stands firm. The house of the righteous, it says, it promises it will stand firm. Guys, it's, listen, it's not the stability. The stability of the wise man's house didn't come from how pretty it was on the outside. It came from what was deep on the inside. Deep where no one saw, where no one saw what he did privately. I can imagine this guy as he's going through this storm or shortly after this storm, he's thinking, I'm so glad I got to the rock. I'm so glad I took the time with the praying, the sweat, the tears, all the work, because I sure need it now. And, it's, and because I did it, it does it. It stands firm. I've asked uh, Jim Simpson to close our, our, this lesson out by talking a little bit about the storm that he's currently going through and the lessons he's learning uh, from it. So Jim, come on up here. And we have a mic up here for you. So...
Would you like a pulpit or anything? Okay, good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm going to start off with just uh, a pain in my shoulder uh, over an eight-month period, uh, from a pain in my shoulder and my neck to uh, my back to my leg. Um, went to five different doctors. Uh, they never could figure out what it was. I finally got them to do an MRI. Uh, got the bad call. Um, got a call from the doctor. Said immediately go to the ER. Um, take your MRI with you. Um, went there. They kept me. Did some more tests. Uh, determined that I had uh, a cancer. Um, it was in my lung and uh, had moved to uh, my spinal column. Uh, actually went from my spinal column all the way to tips of my toes to tips of my fingers. Um, my whole body was riddled. They said it was like a Christmas tree. Um, my neck was broken. Uh, my hip was uh, about ready to, to shatter. Uh, they uh, fixed my neck, uh, which can, took uh, a piece of cadaver bone, uh, took a lot of pins, uh, have chains that are connected to my shoulders to help hold my head into place. Uh, so I only have 50% movement in my neck now. Uh, a couple weeks later, they did my hip, uh, called cementoplasty, where they reformed it. Um, they still couldn't determine what type of cancer I had. Um, uh, eventually, uh, they, they had figured that out, and it was, uh, it was a type of lung cancer uh, that had moved into my bones. Um, with lung cancer, you can um, have what's called a mutation. And uh, if I had that, I could uh, go on a pill, but they couldn't wait to find out. Um, so I had to go ahead and start me on the chemotherapy. I went through six doses of the chemotherapy, which is horrible. And I sympathize with anybody out here who's gone through chemotherapy. Um, it's basically putting a lot of poisons in you, and uh, you feel horrible. You lose appetite. I lost 70 pounds. Uh, you lose strength, um, all kinds of things. Um, they eventually figured out that I did have uh, the mutation. Uh, I was able to put on uh, a cancer pill, um, which uh, is giving me more strength. Um, now I have an appetite back. Uh, the only thing you get with that is a rash. Um, and if I took off my shirt, you see that I have pizza face all over me. Um, but I can live with that. Um, that's basically what's happened uh, with my body. Uh, and now let's talk about what's uh, happened with my soul. Um, the Lord always said, count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations. Didn't really realize what that meant until you've been through it. Um, when I first found out that I had cancer, you know, the first thing that goes through your mind is, you know, is my life over? Um, worry about your kids, worry about your wife, worry about, you know, taking care of your house, all those things. Um, but I was determined uh, to follow God's promises. You know, He said He'd never leave you, never forsake you. Going to take care of me. Going to take care of them. Um, so what has developed over that is um, I've learned to pray more. I've learned to turn things over to Him. 
I've learned to realize uh, blessings. One of the things I went through um, every day, um, I determined I was going to find some kind of a blessing. Whether it was, uh, first I couldn't walk. Um, basically, I, had a, you know, I was bedridden. Um, began to, to learn to walk. God, thank you that you were able to give me that step that day. Thank you, Lord, that you know, I'm able to eat something. Thank you, Lord. And that's an important thing, guys, to realize that, um, first off, you're not going through it by yourself because God's there. And you've got this family of Christ. I mean, I had so many people praying for me, um, not only in this church, but, I mean, all over St. Louis and other parts of the world. Um, that found out about it. I mean, people have told me, that, you know, in their churches they're praying for me. I've got a lot of letters and everything. That's so important. That's so important uh, that you realize that, uh, you know, you're not going through it alone. Um, the other thing is uh, you need to realize that, you know, even though I'm going through through this, other people are going through it too. Um don't have a pity party about, about you. You know, you know, you cry out to God, why is this happening to me? You know, I don't know the answers to that. Um, I think one of the main reasons is because you need to teach me something. need me to learn to be more humble. need to learn to um, rely on people. need to learn to look beyond me and see what's going on with other people, pray for other people, um, learn to cry, learn to take it before God, pray about it, release it to Him, and let Him work. Um, I wrote a bunch of things down, but uh, I'd rather talk from my heart, guys. Um, all I can say is, uh, you know, I, I've been a Christian uh, since 1970. Um, um, as a Christian, you can sometimes get comfortable. You know, everything's going well, and you just uh, kind of relax and uh, just kind of realize um, that uh, you know, everything's going well. I don't really need to, to rely on anybody. I can do it myself. Uh, you don't pray as much, and you don't rely on things as much. Um, I do now. Uh, realize that uh, the important things. You know, I have salvation. That cannot be taken away from me. My life can be taken from me, but my salvation can't. Realize that I have a place up in heaven for me. You know, um, you worry about the you know little things down here on earth, about you know my home, my job, blah, blah, blah. Those really aren't that important. God is going to supply your needs, maybe not all your wants, but he said he would supply your needs. Um, he's, he's met all my needs. Um, you know, you worry about... You know, 
finances of, of taking care of all the things that I'm going through. He's met all those. It's just amazing the things that, that he's done. The more that I relied on him. Uh, I don't know what more to say, but uh, I'm going to read just one verse to you. Uh, it's an important one to me. It's in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a hope. Not, not, not hope. That's an assurance. It's an assurance that we have it. So, you know, all that I'm going through, I'm doing fine. I mean, I, I just got done going on, on vacation. I'm able every day to do more things. You know, I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Don't know when that could be taken away from me. I'm not worried about it. Thank you. There's a card in your bulletin, and like I said, we're going to sing a song, give you a chance to write in that card. Maybe there's a prayer request, you know, something you'd like for people to pray for, and maybe there's a, a decision you need to make. Maybe you need to decide, you know, I need to get, I need to get deeper into God and, and find that rock in my life. And um, we're going to give you a chance to do that. Again, moms, it's good to have you here. Have a great day. I hope it's a wonderful Mother's Day for you. Uh, you deserve it. And um, let's pray and we'll uh, sing a song and take care of those cards and then we'll sing another song and take up those cards along with our contribution. Holy God, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for what Jim has to say, Lord. I mean, he is, he is dealing with a storm right now. And Father, um, to hear how it's changing him and his assurance in you, Father, we pray we can meet our storms much the same way. Father, um, what do we need to do this morning, each of us? Would you just talk to us through your Holy Spirit what we need to apply, what we need to do? We know so much. What do we need to do that we know? Help us do that. Help us do that quickly. To do it at once. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.